0: Good evening and welcome to E-Bible Fellowship's Bible Study in the Book of Revelation. Tonight will be study number 13 of Revelation chapter 1. And we're going to be reading from Revelation 1 verse 4, which says, John to the seven churches which are in Asia, Grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which was and which is to come and from the seven spirits which are before his throne. We've been spending some time looking at the number seven, and we've seen how seven identifies, or the Bible identifies that number, that word, seven, with perfection, and we have to keep in mind purity or purification is involved with the number seven. That is, the the spiritual meaning of that number will point to purity or perfection. Now, let's look at a couple of passages or verses that relate to this idea of seven churches. God could have given any number of churches. Certainly, there were more than seven in Asia. We'll look at some verses that will show that a little later. But he chose seven for a reason. And in the Old Testament, we, we find a couple of verses. One in Isaiah chapter 4, that I'd like to look at in Isaiah 4, verse 1. It says there, And in that day seven women shall take hold of one man, saying, We will eat our own bread and wear our own apparel. Only let us be called by thy name to take away our reproach. In that day, often is used of God to refer to the day of judgment, which we have to keep in mind, judgment began at the house of God. The judgment process began there, and so it can be said that the, the period of judgment started at the beginning of the Great Tribulation period, and now, of course, it's transition to include the whole world. But in that day seven women shall take hold of one man. One man here is a reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is at times, actually a few times, referred to as the man or one man uh, in the Bible without further description. The context is what reveals that it is the Lord Jesus in view. For instance, in Jeremiah chapter 5, In verse 1, it says, Run ye to and fro through the streets of Jerusalem, and see now, and know, and seek in the broad places thereof, if ye can find a man, if there be any that executeth judgment, that seeketh the truth, and I will pardon it. Now, Jerusalem is being used here as a figure of the church, the corporate body the new testament churches and congregations and god is bringing judgment upon jerusalem of old to typify this and he has brought judgment upon the new testament church of our day and the lord is saying all right now go seek in the midst of the churches and congregations go find the spirit of the lord jesus christ my spirit Go, seek, and if you find a man there, and of course it is Christ that executeth judgment and seeketh the truth, if you find him, if you're able, I will not bring the judgment upon you. I will pardon it. But the fact is that God's judgment upon the churches was the removal of the Holy Spirit, the removal of that one man whose presence brought righteousness and truth into the midst of the congregations and his removal, well, it, it left them without righteousness, without truth. And since he could not be found, no pardon was given to the churches and congregations of the world. And, and this is the idea here in Isaiah 4 verse 1. In that day seven women shall take hold of one man, the Lord Jesus, saying, We will eat our own bread and wear our own apparel. Only let us be called by thy name to take away our reproach. That is, the bread of the gospel Christ is the bread of life, and it is the truth of the teaching of the Bible. True doctrine. The churches, typified by seven women, as we see the churches are given the number seven, or the number seven is applied to them in our verse in Revelation 1. They are a woman because the church is pictured as the bride of Christ, and the churches supposedly are that bride. Of course, it's only the true believers that are saved by the work of Christ before the foundation of the world that actually uh, make up that bride, but they picture that bride, and so they're typified as seven women and they take hold of one man, the Lord Jesus, and yet they don't want His bread. They don't want the actual truth of the Word of God. They want their own bread, their own ideas, and their own doctrine, their own gospels. They they want things their way and not God's way. Of course, this is in evidence just about Everywhere. God says a woman is not to teach nor usurp authority over the man, and certainly not to be a pastor, elder, or deacon. And the church says we know better. God says that the marriage relationship is not to be broken. There is not to be divorced for any reason at all. The Lord hateth putting away. And the church of our day says, We know better. There are exceptions. And in making those exceptions, they've ruined the marriage institution. God says that a man can do no work when it comes to the matter of salvation. It is completely up to God Himself. I will have mercy upon whom I will have mercy. And the church says, well, uh, no, a man certainly can choose Christ and accept him and become saved. And we can just go on and on down the line of doctrines where the churches and congregations want their own bread. And while it's, it's not limited to the church, but in this context, It is because God is referring to seven women, but that proud nature of those within the churches and congregations can also apply to individuals outside that are not truly saved who want things their own way. It basically boils down to men wanting their own kind of gospel and not liking the gospel of God, the gospel of the Bible. And it's the same with the next statement We will eat our own bread and wear our own apparel. Their own righteousness is what that means, as apparel has to do with clothing or covering. And God uses that idea of covering to represent the covering of sin. And the elect people are covered by Christ covering his righteousness. And God's people realize all of our righteousnesses are filthy rags. They they cannot cover us in the least bit. We look only to Christ and his covering. But this is not so with the churches and congregations of the world. No, they have developed their own salvation plan. They have developed their own program of getting people into heaven and their own righteousness they're based upon their own works of accepting Christ, of walking down an aisle, of saying a sinner's prayer, of partaking of the Lord's table, of being baptized, of church membership, and so on. All of uh, following the confessions and creeds, of adhering to what the church says, do these things and you're in good standing with God, they say. Oh, no, you're not. No, you're not. You're in good standing with the church, and and the church can't get anyone into heaven. You can be sure of that. As a matter of fact, there will be many popes and bishops and priests and ministers and pastors and elders and deacons that will never themselves get into heaven, and yet they promised life to the members of their congregation when they themselves never had it they lacked it their own self and really they dug a pit and and many fell into the pit that they dug they set a course with their mouths promising people that we will come to the shores of heaven when really they went greatly astray and end up in the depths of the sea, with all of their sins upon them, and the wrath of God finally destroying them forevermore. This is, sadly and tragically, the case of our present-day church. They are typified by these seven women. And yet, even though they, they want their own bread and their own apparel, notice what it finally says, only... Let us be called by thy name to take away our reproach. Despite it all, despite such independent and proud nature that everything must be their way, they insist upon being called Christian. They they want to keep the name of Christ. Isn't that amazing? When we look at the churches today, and and the way they trample upon the Word of God, and the Word is Christ, when some of the liberal churches have so cut up the Word of God, and they make it say whatever they want it to say, they try to fit it to modern culture and ideas. For instance, with the homosexuality movement today, and with its wide acceptance in the world, well, now the church looks rather old and traditional and just outdated. And so, well, we can fix that. Some of the more modern liberal churches, they just simply decree, well, God is never taught against homosexuality. Homosexuality is just as accepted in God's eyes as marriage between a man and a woman. Certainly, men can marry men and women can marry women. Why in the world do they keep the name of Christ? Why do they call themselves Christians when, when they uh, have no regard? We, we must say this. It's the truth. They have absolutely no regard for the Bible. It is just something that they keep as a reference book, and, and yet they don't refer to it in reality, at least not in truth. We wonder, well... The the reason they keep it is due to the association that the Bible has with heaven. and And the Bible says no one gets to heaven apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. There is none other name given amongst men whereby we must be saved. It is only through him. The Bible's clear about this. And, well, of course, some... Churches, they trample over that idea too, but but they keep the name Christ and Christian. Maybe a few of them do, just to draw in individuals that are attracted by that name. Yet, although they insist to be called by the name of Christ, certainly they do not follow him, and they do not follow the word of God at all. Well, there's another ...verse that we want to look at with the number 7 in it, and that's in the book of Jeremiah. In Jeremiah 15, it says in verse 9, "...she that hath borne seven languisheth. She has given up the ghost. Her son has gone down, while it was yet day. She has been ashamed and confounded, and the residue of them why deliver to the sword before their enemies..." saith Jehovah. And we we wonder about this verse. It's a little hard to understand. Why is God speaking of Judah or of Jerusalem as she that has born seven? Now, we understand, actually, the rest of the verse, she has given up the ghost. That is the spirit of God. Just as the Bible teaches that when God began the judgment on the churches and congregations, the Holy Spirit came out of the midst, and so she gave up the ghost. Her son is gone down while it was yet day. Notice, it is her son. And God did extinguish the light of the sun in the churches throughout the Great Tribulation period, the entire period of judgment of 23 years. And he reveals this in revelation 8 when he speaks of the third part of the sun being darkened and and that was important because it was not the whole sun god still had a plan to evangelize the world outside of the churches through the latter rain and and it would be after the latter rain at the conclusion of the great tribulation immediately after the tribulation the sun of the world, or for the whole world is darkened, and we're currently living in that time. So it's significant that her son, it says in Jeremiah 15:9, is gone down while it was yet day, still the day of salvation. God had not yet completed his saving work in, in finding all the lost sheep, all that great multitude to complete the salvation of all the elect. She has been ashamed and confounded, and the residue of them why deliver to the sword before their enemies, saith Jehovah. And that is a typical verse describing the wrath of God upon his people, and that applies to the great tribulation. But what about this? She "She that hath borne seven languisheth and to languish is what the rest of the verse means, to lose the Holy Spirit and have the sun be darkened. Well, we can find the answer to this when we turn back to First Samuel chapter 2. In First Samuel 2, Hannah is praying to God, rejoicing that she has been granted a child, Samuel. And Samuel is a type of Christ, we we won't go into that. We've done a study, and uh, E Bible has done a study in First Samuel, and and it very clearly, uh, again and again, Samuel is seen as a type and a figure of Christ in the early chapters, and so she is rejoicing, just as Mary rejoiced upon hearing that she would give birth to the Messiah, and so Hannah's prayer of rejoicing prefigures that of Mary. And we read in uh, 1 Samuel 2 and in verse 5 They that were full have hired out themselves for bread and they that were hungry ceased so that the barren hath borne seven and she that has many children is waxed feeble. Now Hannah was barren she was grieved by this because her husband had another wife who had several children and uh, this is the picture that god often uses in the bible the barren woman giving birth just as sarah gave birth to isaac and isaac was a type of the lord jesus christ Remember, his father Abraham was going to offer him up, and that pointed to the time when the father would offer up the Lord Jesus. Uh, Of course, that was done before the foundation of the world, but the demonstration of that was in time in uh, 33 AD. Well, here it is Hannah who is barren because when she gives birth to Samuel, it's He's a figure of the child who will be born to Mary, the Lord Jesus. And the statement is made, the barren hath born seven. And why seven? Hannah only gave birth to one, to Samuel. Because that child represents Jesus. And Jesus is absolute perfection. He is is the pure and holy and perfect sacrifice, the Messiah, eternal God Himself in the flesh. And so Hannah is pictured as giving birth or having born seven. And in Jeremiah 15, let's turn back there, it says again in verse 9, She that hath born seven languisheth. Because the church is typified in the Bible as having given birth to Christ. Remember the woman in Revelation 12. She gives birth to the man-child. And then uh, after the man-child is caught up to heaven, the the dragon goes after the woman and she finds her her refuge in the wilderness for a period of time. And that woman is is a picture of the believers. And the believers took up residence in the churches and congregations as, as God decreed. It was his will to use the churches throughout the church age. And finally, though, the Lord is able to make this statement that she that hath borne seven, that is, the one that Christ came through as he came through the body of believers and as they were identified with the churches, now languisheth. Now the Spirit of God is removed from it, and the light of the gospel is gone. This is how we can understand this. So we see that even though we're reading about the beginnings of the New Testament church in Revelation chapter 1, as John is writing to the seven churches which are in Asia, we know from the Bible already, that we can expect that the seven churches or the corporate body of congregations the world over will eventually um, fail and God will remove himself from them. What, let's look at this uh, reference to Asia, the seven churches in Asia. And if we turn to Acts 19, we'll read about Asia several times. The word Asia is found 20 times in the New Testament. And uh, a few of them are in Acts 19. It says in verse 10, And this continued by the space of two years, so that all they which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. Notice it says, All they which dwelt in Asia. And then in verse 18 of Acts 19 And many that believed came, and confessed, and showed their deeds. Many of them also which use curious arts brought their books together, and burned them before all men. And they counted the price of them, and found it fifty thousand pieces of silver. So mightily grew the Word of God and prevailed. That is, in Asia, the Word of God was growing tremendously. And then in verses 26 and 27, moreover, you see in here that not alone at Ephesus, now this is um, uh, a silversmith complaining about the progress of the gospel and uh, against Paul and and those that are carrying the word of God. And again in verse 26, Moreover ye see and hear that not alone at Ephesus, Ephesus was a a part of Asia, but almost throughout all Asia, this Paul hath persuaded and turned away much people, saying that they be no gods which are made with hands, so that not only this our craft is endangered to be set at naught, but also that the temple of the great goddess Diana should be despised and her magnificence should be destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worshipeth. Well, here uh, we can see that the gospel was progressing greatly in the early days, in the first century, in Asia, and, and yet God is only writing to... Seven churches. Certainly there were more than seven, but he is using the number seven to represent the perfection of churches that would come as a result of the Lord Jesus Christ. As he is typified by that number seven, and in their relationship to him, God also uses the number seven. Now one verse that we'll just look at, to see what these seven churches are. The seven churches are named in one verse, in, in verse 11 of Revelation chapter 1, saying, "...I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, and what thou seest, write in a book, and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, and unto Smyrna, and unto Pergamos, and unto Thyatira, and unto Sardis, and unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. Those are the seven churches. That actually would be a good verse to memorize if, if you're interested in uh, knowing exactly which seven churches are being referred to. And God will go on in chapters 2 and 3 to address words to each of the angels of the seven churches that are in Asia.